Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Cow Corner podcast with me, the dolly dropper, James Hurl, and the king of the hoppers, Joss Elliott. For your latest dose of all things Shropshire cricket, Okay, so well, welcome to the Cow Corner podcast and uh, we're in a bit of a different location today. We are in Shrewsbury School's dressing room out of the normal studio and we've been invited uh, to the Jack Shantry Masterclass and we have with us Rod and Jack. Uh, so Rod, could you uh, just give us an introduction as to who you are and what's going on for anyone who may not know and your cricketing background? All right, my cricket, uh, well, for me, I'm, I'm a, a level three coach and uh, also a coach to, well, we're called uh, developers now uh, but I've been a coach developer now for over 22 years um, that's something I, I quite like doing passing on uh, uh, my knowledge as a, as a tutor you know developing coaches up and down the Shropshire and for my playing career I played at Whitchurch for a number of years well, I played all my cricket at Whitchurch and uh, I wouldn't change it for anything to be honest so uh, had some really good years there Fantastic, and he invited us down, and we've had the pleasure of meeting Jack, who many of you may know, but Jack, just in case, a little quick brief history about yourself. Yeah, uh, Jack Shantry, I had 10 years at Worcestershire from 2009 to 2018, uh, retired uh, a couple of years ago, and now I'm uh, doing a little bit of coaching and some umpiring as well. Hopefully we'll transition into umpiring if everything goes well. Fantastic, okay, let's get on with the pod. So, we're here with Jack Shantry, uh, formerly of Worcester and uh, Shrewsbury Cricket Club, was it? That's yeah, right, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, private school as well, were you not? That's right as well. Fantastic. Um, yes. Sorry, it's my head boy. That's the only reason <laughs> oh, I know that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack's like, fucking hell, this guy's really creepy. That, that won't go in the pod, actually. Um, no, cool. Yeah, He's so, like a head boy, you're a priory. Yeah. And what year were you in? Oh, I was in, uh, well... I don't know what year you'd have been in when I was there. Well, I'm 89, so you'd have probably been... 88, yeah. Yeah, you're above or two. Yeah. Was he bully? 
I was not a bully. Did you vote no. for me as a boy? Did yeah, you vote? Yeah. Get in there. Brilliant news. Thank you very much. Um, I hope I ran, I ran a good campaign that year, actually. I was held against, um, who was it? I was, uh, Benny Howells. Mm. Not Benny Howells. David Howells I was up against. Mm. He, was, he was my assistant. Enjoyed yeah, it. It's a proper presidential kind of Small election world. thing. Yeah, yeah, with hustings. With full hustings. Yeah. Did, I gave sweets out to the year 7s, 8s and 9s. <laughs> and I had a joke. When I did the year 10s and 11s, I had a joke that fell really flat. And I don't think I can replicate it now. I'm not sure I can remember. But yeah, I had a really poor, poor speech. My, my, my core demographic were the year seven, eight, and nines. I was a bit of a populist even back then. <laughs> so, um, yeah, enough about our school, our school life. <laughs> I'm not sure how, that's quite niche for your listeners. If they, yeah, they well, get that, then... goes to prove you can go to a state school and still end up playing go. county cricket. Yeah, yeah. And, um yeah, so moving out of county cricket and transitioning into umpiring, something that me and Rod can kind of relate with as we took our course last year and uh, did our level two. Not at the standard that you're at currently, and congratulations on uh, Birmingham League umpire of the of this season, was it? Or year, wasn't it? Well, um, thank you very much, and congratulations for doing your, your course and <laughs> starting out in the way last year as well. So, <laughs> welcome to the dark side. Yes. <laughs> and uh, moving into coaching as well. So, doing your masterclass tonight quite a nice way to kind of give back to well the community that you grew up in really yeah it was fantastic I really enjoyed this evening you know it's good to step out of your comfort zone mm. now and again um, and I think I was a little bit out of my comfort zone tonight I haven't done mm. that kind of thing very often before um, but I had Rod by my side who was one he was my coach when I was a, a 16 and 17 year old growing up through Shropshire and he's also he's a level above me with his coaching as well so all the difficult technical questions I was passed off to Rod and I got the nice easy ones on, um, on how to bowl an outswing yes. I was very much in my wheelhouse for that one <laughs> so Rod uh, talking about being uh, Jack's coach and everything through the career how are you proud of kind of the way that he's gone and gone progressed through Worcester and then eventually coming full circle and ending up uh, doing a masterclass with yourself at coaching yeah it has come full circle hasn't it it's like gamekeeper come poachers or <laughs> Um, but it's it's always nice to to see um, lads and and girls going on to playing first class cricket and, and playing not just only first class cricket but playing decent cricket and um, and it's always good to you know uh, bump into them again and and start talking and reminiscing about the old times and things like that. Could have done it better this way and could have done it you know we, we had good times doing it that way. Um, but yeah, it's always it's always really there's, it's quite pleasing as a coach that you just played a little bit of a part in it. I know. You know, we're sometimes with a small wheel, you know, with a big cog, and um, uh, obviously it's got to be led by the player. But you know, as a coach, it's really important that you're there to support them. You know, in the good times and the bad times, and uh, and I'm sure there's been you know lots of the highs and lows. But um, it's always good to come back and uh, reminisce and uh, uh, talk about you know what's gone on and how they got there. Mm. So you talk about Rod being one of your, well, I say early coaches, but kind of, like, yeah, 15, 16, you're saying. Um, kind of, was your experiences as a player really kind of inspire you into coaching? Or was, it, was coaching always something that you wanted to do? Or is it kind of just something that, or oh, and umpiring, let's say, or is it just something that's kind of uh, developed in the last few years? Yeah, I think, well, obviously it's been my life, cricket. My dad was a professional cricketer, my mm. older brother as well. He's now the professional at Shrewsbury School, mm. uh, where, we, where we are this evening. Um, so I think cricket was in my blood, certainly, mm. and having spent 10 years as a professional, um, that's my, my only expertise, probably, cricket. Mm. I did do two years of a, of a degree in English language at Manchester, but as soon as I got offered a contract with Worcester, that degree was uh, very short-lived. <laughs> so I think cricket is, is hopefully going to be my life. I, I'd mm. like to think... Um, 
I can put something back if it's with coaching for the time being and hopefully in the future with umpiring if everything goes goes well I'm still a, a long way from that um, but yeah I enjoy my coaching learning all the time mm. um, and yeah it's, it's nice to put things back and if people get value from my experience then that's only a good thing mm. so apart from Rod um, <laughs> <laughs> Rod's the biggest influence yeah I would say yeah it's a strong influence yeah. <laughs> <laughs> small um, what other coaches would kind of had a major influence in you or any kind of like standout standout moments in your career or from beginning to end kind of that really influenced you or anything that's kind of started with you uh, that's kind of like helped you and that you want to kind of take on into your career as a coach yeah well the, the first and foremost the work ethic was instilled in me by my family so my dad and my brother uh, we don't come from um, you know the, the, the most auspicious surroundings so we, we had to work hard to get where we got and that was ingrained in me from a young age um, apart from that then I, I was lucky to get opportunities when I did performed well when I was trialing with Worcestershire mm-hmm. got a one-year contract on the back of that did well then, and then things kind of snowballed. Um, biggest influence in my career was Alan Richardson uh, as a player initially. Mm. He actually came back as a coach the year I retired, so that's one of my biggest regrets. I never got to work with him as a coach. Mm. Uh, but as a player, then Richo was really giving of his time, knowledgeable, um, and also very secure, which in the dressing room environment, especially in a young dressing room, there's a lot of egos going around, a lot of people in the mm. last year of their contract fighting for their career. And while you do have a great relationship, there's a little bit of fragility there and people mm. are not quite sure of their place. While they're your teammate, they're also your competitor and your rival. Mm. And you might be you know, four bowlers going for three contracts very mm. often. So that's, that kind of dynamic is quite difficult. But Richo just sort of soared above that on a different mm. plane. He was always giving of his time and kind and sort of generous with you. Um, and yeah, he, just, he, he was, I wouldn't say head and shoulders above the rest because there are loads of good people that came mm. through that club. Knowing Ali, another one who's, who's fantastic and... You know, great player and still doing very well for England. Um, biggest, biggest um, influence was was Alan Richardson. Interesting you say that because we had um, we had Matthew Hoggard on a previous episode, and he spoke about kind of during the Duncan Fletcher uh, era, kind of that he never at any point during his cricketing career felt like he was fully established at any kind of standard or level. Yeah. Um, did you kind of feel the same, or was there kind of like is that? Is that like a key element of kind of like a mentality that a coach needs to install at a professional cricket club level? Or is that kind of, or is that just something that, you know, just naturally will occur with the kind of uh, environment? Yeah, good question. I think, I think feeling comfortable is not really something you want to be feeling ever mm. as a cricketer. You want to feel secure, you want to feel <laughs> safe, and you want to be able to trust the people around you. But, but I wouldn't say you want to be comfortable and just secure of your place mm. every time. That doesn't bring out the best in you. You need to go out mm. of your comfort zone from times need to know that you're never more than one or possibly two games away from getting dropped and being on that edge all the time gives you a little bit of extra you know oomph and, and, and makes you really um, be on your metal all the time the way I bowled I didn't bowl more than sort of 72 73 miles an hour mm. there'd be you know the occasional game on on television that I wouldn't play particularly well and you know, looking at the comments on social media like, they can be they can be brutal mm. so you know you you don't you never feel like oh I've arrived and I'll have a long career. You always feel like you might not be good enough. You have that imposter syndrome all the time. That that never leaves you. It never left me. There may well be players who are far more secure in themselves, but I think the experience that I've come across with most of my fellow pros is you always feel a little bit of imposter. You think, why am I getting paid to play? the sport that I love mm. am I good enough I mean, you wouldn't be human if you didn't have those thoughts mm. now you can be honest here Rod um, when when you were coaching him did you did you kind of did you always think that he would uh, hit the heights that he did 
Um, to be to be honest, I was thought he was always driven, and and that that was one of the, the stories that I told at the start of the the session today is that you know ridiculously that he played on the Saturday for Shrewsbury. Uh, he turned up at Shifnal for the three-day game in the minor counties. Um, and after that, uh, on the Tuesday night, I dropped him off at uh, Shifnal. And um, he then played two days for, for Worcester. And had the Friday off and then started again on, on the Saturday for Shrewsbury. So, um, and all my time that I've, uh, you know, I've done all the coaching and I've seen, you know, probably hundreds, I don't know, might have been thousands now, but... Uh, players that you've come across and there is only a small percentage that are actually driven and Jack was, you know, leading that one, you know, that that procession because, you know, as I said, there's only a small handful that would be driven to, you know, make sure that they turn up on time and uh, they were there all the time and, um, you know, they just wanted that more extra mm. and, um, you know, so you can never question Jack's, uh, Jack's um, uh, passion to get there. Mm. It's something I really admire, really. So, from a coaching point of view, what kind of what kind of things did you make make sure that you had in place? Kind of um, that obviously now you could pass on to other coaches who may have a budding kind of Jack Shantry in their team, or uh, or you know Ed Barnard, or any kind of like local young lad who may be kind of pushing through. What kind of advice would you give to them? Kind of. Well, obviously they've got to enjoy it, and and if they're not enjoying it, then you know you've got to question probably yourself if they're you know why they're not enjoying it. So that that's a big thing is that they've got to enjoy the game first. Second and and, and secondly is probably that you know have they got potential because you know as a coach that you you know you got feeling that you know this lad's got to potential to go on and, and be a decent player. Uh, and thirdly, like you know are, are they driven? Like I said with Jack, um, so. You know, I think they got their three main qualities, and um, and it is quite rare. Even though you you know you do come across a lot of players, uh, some players have got the the talent but don't use it. You know, mm. very lazy with it, and I think that's a missed opportunity. And I think as a coach, that you identify that talent, and then you know you say, look, you know, if you if you really want it, you you can get there, and um, and and that's just you know once you, you they they buy into that, you hopefully. You've got a relationship then that they, you know, we you can work together, uh, so hopefully they can they fulfil their you know passion to get to the to the top. Mm. So, going into your masterclass today, what were kind of the main things that you were wanting to try and get across <coughs> from your experience of being a well professional cricketer and kind of your all your experience of all the coaching that you've had or that you've gone through? What were the kind of main points that you were looking to set forward and, yeah. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> I kind of I just fluffed the end of it then. No, yeah. no, 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 exactly what you mean. I, I had a conversation with my brother about it actually because he's a level four coach. And like I say, he's the professional here at Shrewsbury, um, and his coaching's gone really well since he retired as a player. Um, so I was sort of willing to cede to him what he wanted to do. But actually, you know, people can get technical stuff from from people other than me. I'm not the most knowledgeable on mm. on certain bowling actions. The way I bowled was unique to me. And I was an expert in how I bowled, but in how other people bowl in, in, in the prescriptive way, I probably wouldn't know the right way for everyone to go about it. So we've got knowledgeable coaches like Rod here who can take those kind of questions. So the mm-hmm. things I was trying to get across was, you know, um, my, to use a bit of a trite word, journey mm-hmm. through the game, um, uh, how I went about my business, how I'd bowl, um, just, just covering basic stuff that I would want to know if I was a coach coming through the game. So how you'd bowl at certain batsmen, what your mindset would be, 
couple of we did a couple of drills this evening that you can do. We used to do all the time at Worcester. Mm. Just just pretty basic stuff. It's not about reinventing the wheel, um, and, and just doing simple stuff that they can take mm. back and, and progress as a coach and help their their younger players out with. Yeah, so it's we're we're at pre season now, and when this goes out, it'll still be pre season, and probably by the time it's May, it'll still be pre season. <laughs> um, but um, going into pre seasoning at Worcester, what kind of things would the coaches be drumming into? What kind of things would you have in place? What kind of what 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 were the kind of methods? I know you brought them up in the masterclass, but not necessarily everyone who listened <laughs> will have had the have, would have had the wonderful benefit of being here tonight. Yeah, I think what you're getting into what back end of February now, starting March. Um, certainly training indoors for all that time the walls can start to cave in on you and sort of close in and so you, you want to be getting outside now so you're ramping up your number of overs per day rather than bowling maybe four or five overs twice a week you're now bowling six, seven, eight over spells and doing it three, four, five times a week so you're getting ready to be bowling all your balls you developed over the winter maybe your, your knuckleball or your deucer or your Shane Warne specialty that no one's going to know about they're all been and done and you're starting to get ready to, be, to go out there and hit the ground running so with, with elite level clubs there going on their warm weather training and pre-season trips now. Mm. We just saw some club sides in there after we left the masterclass and they've got their own things that they're working on now. So it's about ramping it up, about getting some confidence under the belt and uh, hopefully I'll be thinking about getting outside when the weather brightens up. Yeah, so as a, as a player, if you were to, to talk to a young player who's going into their, into their season coming up, what kind, of, what kind of key things would you be saying for their mindset? What kind of things would you be asking them to focus on going into the season coming ahead? Um, as a bowler, I would say keep it simple. So going into a spell, I, I always used to say you can only take wickets if you're bowling. So mm. sort of the inverse of a batsman's, that, that classic boycott thing, you can only score runs while you're out there. You'll never score runs in the pavilion. Mm. And for me, you can only take wickets while you're bowling. So to get into a spell, you're not getting hit for a boundary every over. You're not bowling half volleys. You can have attacking fields, but bowl defensively. So not looking <coughs> for the magic ball. Mm. Don't ask too much of yourself. Settle on a line, settle on a length, do the stuff that you've done time and time again and, and trust the process. Mm. Rob, what would, what would your advice be? Is kind of, well, obviously uh, Jack's coach and obviously I'm assuming you, uh, you've coached Eve as well, who is um, yeah. now uh, Birmingham Phoenix and uh, Warwickshire, is she not? That's right, yeah. Um, I, I, I agree with what Jack just said, it's just about ramping it up and, and having a, a right balance for that because obviously... Um, when I talk about the balance, is that it's all well just going in and batting and batting and batting all the time. I think you've got to have a, you've got to make sure that you're also doing the fielding bit, and then if you are a bowler, then you've got to find time to do that. So it's it's finding that and getting time in the gym as well, getting some uh, hard yards under the you know uh, under your belt, um, so long as you're fit, keeping fit, and looking after yourself. Really, I think uh, I think the message is that. You know, we, we take it for granted that the players, once they've turned up to the sessions, um, they've done X, Y and Z, but when they go exit the door, have we done enough support for them to make sure that they're eating, eating right fools, uh, food and uh, uh, drinking the right you know, stuff, looking after themselves, really. Um, and just, you know, you can, all, you can only take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink, but, mm. you, you know, you can only advise at the end of the day, so... Make sure they look after themselves and, and yeah, just ramp it up a little bit more, you know, and take it steady. And, and you want to be fit for the start of the season. You don't want to be breaking down at the start of the season and all of a sudden, you know, you've lost a few weeks, a few months, and all of a sudden, you know, that season can be very short. Just to add to that as well, it's funny, you get a sort of peak in you know, confidence, how much people want to play, that everyone's buzzing for the first game of the season. The classic one you get in county cricket is that. 
Now you travel a lot up and down the country and you often stop at service stations. April, May, you see so much Tupperware on the team bus. I've got pre-prepared meals, I've got the salads, I've got the avocado, I've got the quinoa, and none of this fast food stuff for me. Come September, there's no Tupperware on that, on that bus anywhere. Everyone's going for the Big Mac, everyone's going for the, the Greggs or whatever. So I think it's about finding that balance. And yes, you're pumped for the first game of the season, but can you maintain that level all the way through? Because lots of players buzzing for the first game of the season come September, it's... It's a very different story. So having that level all the way through. Was there a particular kind of... Uh, <laughs> was, there, was there certain individuals in the team who... Would you be allowed to name <laughs> who were kind of uh, worse culprits than others for kind of the, uh, the old uh, Big Mac at the back of well, the bus? Do you know, I, I shouldn't use my position like... I was one of the worst, actually. I will, I will own up now. Now I've retired. I... Um, yeah, we, we used to be bowling fit. You know, you say you can bowl. I could bowl, bowl a 15 over spell, but I would still get the carriage on in the evening. And there's still, there's still players now who, um, you, you know, you, I think if you burn the calories off, it doesn't really matter as long as you, you, you know, you're doing what you do day in, day out. I probably could have had a few less profiteroles during my career, if I'm honest. <laughs> I think it'd be boring, wouldn't it, if you're for all, you know, uh, you know, machines doing everything, that, you know, to the, to the schedule. I thought, I think it's, it's, quite, it's quite nice to have a... You know the individual that is a bit of a what you what the All Blacks called dickheads, is it? Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, oh, that was well, really good. there's um there was one thing that I I did a after dinner thing at um, Shropshire Cricket Board a few weeks ago, and there's one thing that I wanted to say but I didn't say. I didn't didn't feel like it was the right moment. But there's um this is the perfect time well, to no, say I'll, it. And <laughs> I'll, I'll bring it out now. There was there was a motivational technique that I used when I played, which was. Um, Imagine there's an imaginary film crew mm. filming you. So you get, you, there's a documentary that's going to go out, you know, in, in a year's time or, or to, you, to your mum and dad or to your kids or whoever you want it to go to, basically, whoever's going to motivate you. So you pretend to be this, this film crew who's following you all the time, not when no one else is watching. So do you mm. make the right decisions, you know, when you go back to the team hotel at mm. one o'clock in the morning, you know, when you pick your food, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, that worked for me, but... Imagine if Ian Botham had a film crew following everyone. He wouldn't. He wouldn't still. He would have. It'd be a very different story to to what you what you achieved. So it takes it takes all kinds of people. Um, but yeah, that certainly that worked for me. That one. So yeah, um, different characters in the dressing room. Were there kind of was it uh, was there anyone that you kind of tended to kind of stay away from if they'd had a particularly bad day, or was there kind of like, or was there anyone who would kind of be around the dressing room during your time at Worcester who'd be kind of always like the agony aunt kind of going around or was it kind of very much individual or was it kind of like a, a Joe Root who had uh, put holes in people's socks kind yeah, of thing yeah. <laughs> we, yeah we had a sock snipper Jack the Snipper never got caught not sure who that was might have been more than one actually um, there's certainly some rumours about who that one was but yeah you'd always find holes in your trousers and all that kind of stuff <laughs> Steve Rhodes our coach wanted us to be called the crazy gang now, he must have read a book about culture <laughs> or whatever Wimbledon with Vinnie Jones and all that kind of stuff and yeah crazy gang that lasted a couple of years till the um yeah, the bills were too much for replacing all everyone's kit. Um, yeah, bowlers tend to hang out together, and you certainly get that bowler-batter divide at times. Mm. You know, if the bowlers aren't taking enough wickets or the batters aren't scoring the runs, you can have that little bit of divide. And my group was sort of myself, Joe Leach, and Charlie Morris um, formed quite a, a solid unit for a few years there. Um, yeah, you generally, I wouldn't say it get you have clicks because the, you you want to have a team atmosphere where everyone can speak to each other. But, but yeah, generally speaking, you do you do form little. Sort of friendship, friendship groups. 
Mm. So with the with the new uh, cricketing format that's coming out soon and kind of dividing uh, most of the nation, um, do you think that this is going to bring in kind of like a new age of cricket, kind of similar to what T Twenty did, and, and with it, kind of new coaching techniques, or do you think it's going to be much of the muchness? Uh, what? Well, we'll start with uh, <laughs> we'll start with you, Rod. Given that uh, you've got Eve, who is uh, actually taking part in it. Well, obviously, I'm, I'm pleased that she's taking part in it because um, you know she's she's got a you know aspirations to go on and doing well with it, and uh, she wants to stay in, try and stay in the game as long as she can. Um, for me personally, I, I'm not too sure about the hundred. Um, I think we've already got uh, a T20 in place, which was uh, it, you know it's, it's pretty good. If anybody's been to the finals day, um, it, it, it is quite unique and. Uh, um, I, you know, and I'm pretty quite critical of the the big bash in the, in Australia. I thought that went on for for months and months, and I think I got a bit bored of it, to be honest, because I just saw the same sort of thing. I think uh, what we produce over here in the, in, the, in our county system is is pretty good, and I think it was quite healthy. Uh, numbers were good at uh, you know at, at, uh, at venues, so um, the jury will be out, and uh, you know. Let's not judge it, you know, on one season. Let's let's judge it on, you know, probably a couple of seasons, and then and let's take it from there. But personally, I'm a bit old fashioned. I love test matches. Um, one day is a good as well, and and I think that we've got a you know a very good T Twenty system already in place. So, you know, I better not criticise ECB too much. I think um, with. If you're an early adopter of anything, so ECB were, were the early adopters for T20 cricket, they, they innovated into to bringing T20 cricket to market. Mm-hmm. And that was, we saw at the time, it received a lot of criticism, but it turned out to, to you know, change, the, change the, the world of cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 100, there's no doubt that it has ostracised, alienated a few fans, um, and they're going to be geographical issues because there are fewer teams and people mm-hmm. have to travel further. And I understand all, the, all those concerns, mm-hmm. um, but I think the reasons that the ECB are doing it uh, generally are, are the right reasons. They want to bring more people uh, into cricket. Um, it's certainly good for the players who get picked up. There'll be more money in the game. Um, mm. That'll get redistributed, uh, you'd hope, um, into grassroots cricket as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I can see why it's, why it's being done. I think it'll be a success. I think we'll have um, the foremost, well, obviously it's, it's the only 100 competition in the world at the moment. We're having the, we'll have the best players here mm. for a small period of time. And it may well go the same way as T20 cricket. You know, we, we don't know. We're early adopters of it. Um, but yeah, I can certainly see the reasons it's being done. And I think we'll get some good cricket. As a player, um, did you have a preference in what kind of format that you felt that you played your best cricket at? Yeah, I think um, four-day cricket is the most rewarding because it's, it's the closest to a battle. You know, in the analogy with sport and war and, and four-day cricket feels the most similar to that. Mm-hmm. You know, T20 cricket, you can play... You know, you can you can get a little bit lucky and you know, three catches at long on and one to, the batsman runs away from and tries to scoop it and you end up getting five because you think, well, how have I done that? It's, it's ridiculous. Whereas forty cricket, you feel like you earn it more. Um, although looking at it now, in where the money is, you can certainly see 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 why players go just for one day cricket, just for just for T um, Twenty cricket. But I personally, I enjoyed the the you know the the four day ebb and flow of a four day match. Mm. 
would you rather be would would you have your career where when it was or would you rather be starting your career now with all of the T20 leagues and all the 100 and all the other opportunities that are going on uh, also saying that the four day game do you feel that kind of it's being pushed to the margins with april games and the kind of it being pushed to the edges of the uh, creating calendar yeah I'll, I'll let rod take that last bit but I, certainly I'm, I'm envious of of younger players um Playing, I'm always envious of younger players. I love to have my career again. It's, you know, it's the best time of your life. You get paid to play cricket for it's something you love. Um, but yeah, I was I was more than happy with the career I had. Ten years at Worcestershire and overlooking the cathedral and the River Severn. It was you know it was ten years that I, I wouldn't ask to change in any way. But I, I do think, having said that, the future is really bright, um, and a young player today has the world at their feet. Mm. Well. I forgot what the question was though. <laughs> no, no, I, I definitely. I was never coached as a as a, as a kid. Um, we we just learned to just get get on with a an old cork ball, um, no pads, them old green the them old gloves with the old uh, green spikes on them, uh, no helmets. Um, so, you know, I, I think coaching now is readily available everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. clubs. Uh, you know, uh, and actually, actually, the, the numbers at clubs, uh, my club, which is probably got about 120, 130 kids, you know, uh, registered on their books. So, yeah, quite envious, but, you know, um, I, as I say, I'm a bit of an old traditionalist, but and I used to like the way we used to play, and I've got some fond memories of playing second division cricket, seconds cricket, and then obviously going on to play first team cricket. But, yeah, the, everything is there for them now. And I think it is a little bit too easy for them these days. And that's sometimes that, you know, you're looking to get some players to be driven. And then um, they, they, they find it too easy and they think that they haven't got to train and they haven't got to do this and that. So um, I suppose in the back in the other days is when uh, my time is that, you know, if you, if you wanted it, you, you, you know, you made yourself available on a Saturday because if you didn't make yourself available on a Saturday, you didn't get in for then about three or four weeks and wait until... Mm-hmm. Uh, July, August, before somebody went on holiday and then you got back on the side. So it, it has moved on. Do you, do you feel as there's been a bigger change in coaching since the, well, well the improvement of facilities? Like some, something like this is in, you know, a fantastic facility. And also, your thoughts on bowling machines and things like that? Bowling machine was some bloke that used to just come, you know, have about 10 pints and run in, you know, <laughs> for about four or five hours running in on a Saturday afternoon. And um, but yeah, it, 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 it's it's... It's brilliant what they get nowadays, isn't it? You know, sometimes parents get a little bit fussy about, oh, right, they, they've got better nets than there, so we go in there, and uh, they're better facilities. So the facilities are, you know, uh, um, a second to none at cricket clubs now. They've got all-weather surfaces. Um, they, as you say, they've got bowling machines. They've got, they've got uh, throwing aids, um, different types of balls. As I say, we just, we just rocked up with an old court ball, and... Uh, and we got on with it, so you know it's massively changed, and it has changed for the better, and and the, and the coaching's changed for better. We we're all learning, it, you know, at uh, every time we turn up to a session, I've definitely learned something tonight from Jack, and uh, so um, you know it's all about that learning. So, as I say, it it has moved on in the last twenty thirty years massively, mm. and it has for the better. Mm. It's interesting how um, you know they talk about even your day, you know they had court pad court balls, and you know, you had pretty much no structure. Even now, you look at the, the sports science, they still say that unstructured free play is the best way for children to learn. So play more than one sport, don't, over, um, don't go for one sport too soon, uh, and, and play, play without coaching and play with freedom. That's still now the best way for us to learn. So 
even though they've got all these advances in, in sports science, mm-hmm. they still say that give a kid a bat and a ball, let him play with his friends, give him time to himself, and they'll develop. That's how I did it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sitting in these fantastic surroundings at Shrewsbury School where they've got everything under the mm-hmm. sun, Merlin bowling machines, everything. My brother and I, would he's five years older than me, I'd bowl at him for hours on end, he'd bowl at me for hours on end on our driveway, and that's how we got both to play professional cricket. We had very little coach with the Shropshire system, but both went to state school. Um, and yeah, these kids now, they, they are incredibly lucky, but nothing makes up for... Mm-hmm. They say 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours of purposeful practice. Nothing makes up for spending that time, enjoying it. I think that'd be my, my one piece of advice to anyone. doesn't matter how old you are. If you're you know, growing up in the game now, uh, before, before your teenage years, play as much as you can, play as many sports as you can. Um, and yeah, I'm just starting to play golf now. I love it because it's mm. a completely different sport. And I can, I'm learning every, every time I go on the course. And it's, just a, it's fantastic. Sport offers something that you know, mm. nothing else does. So in your, was it 10, how many years were you at Worcester? Yeah, Before I get ten. this wrong, I, this is great <laughs> research on the Cow Corner podcast. Well, it was, it was 10 seasons, but the 10th season I retired before I played a match that year. So nine years of playing, 10 years in all. Yeah, so did you see much of a, a change or a development in coaching as you kind of went? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Three. Yeah, so the first year I joined, um, there were it's a sort of a, the end of the transition period from six month to twelve month contracts. So Kabir Ali was the last player on a six month contract with Worcestershire. So the rest of us rule on twelve month contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's probably the biggest change uh, is that you're training all the year round. Um, I think it's resulted in a higher level of professionalism. I think the PCA. Uh, offer fantastic services and they really help transition you out of the game. They've been fantastic for me. Um, and I think so they've definitely gone from strength to strength in the last 10 years. Um, we are seeing more injuries with 12-month contracts, a lot more mm. bowlers getting stress fractures, bowling all year round. Mm. I think in the old days, okay, they wouldn't have been as professional in terms of their diet, but they'd have six months of natural rest in the winter where they'd do something else. They wouldn't play cricket, they'd do another sport or, or, or have a, a trade. Um, and they didn't seem to get injured as much as players do now. So mm. by no means that's probably, you know, above my pay grade, what the reasons for it. But I certainly think that bowling all year round has something to do with that. So going on to some final questions. Uh, moving on to kind of about your own personal uh, career and also kind of some topical things. Were they, so going on to your playing career, when you... Um, were there any like pre-match rituals that you'd have? Or was there anything when you were at the top of your mark that we'd, you would be putting through your head every time kind of like hit a certain mark or anything like this or when you're going out to bat if there's anything left left pad on first or kind of would you uh, unpack your bag in a certain way 
bag very rarely got packed properly. It was always just chucked in. Um, no, I wasn't very superstitious. I had no superstitions. Um, I'd normally, if I could, I'd try and say something disparaging about Joe Leach. That's quite important. Get that in during most games. Uh, if I could do every day on a four-day game, that would be part of my, my pre-match plan. Um, but no, nothing, nothing massive. Is like there that. anyone very suspicious? Uh, suspicious. <laughs> Is there anyone very superstitious in their dressing room? Yeah, Ben Cox, wicketkeeper. All wicketkeepers are weirdos, aren't they? Yeah. You'd, um, <laughs> he, um, yeah, he had plenty of them. I can't remember how many there were. He did something with his bat. He'd tap his bat in and out of the crease a certain number of times. Um, yeah, he'd probably be the most superstitious that I can, I can think of. Uh, what was your, in all your time there, what was the kind of like your uh, favourite moments and kind of like most memorable uh, individual moments or favourite wicket even? Uh, well, I think the match that I'm most known for is um, the game against Surrey in 2014 where we had to win to get promotion. Mm. And we, um, so we, we didn't bat particularly well and then they were looking to get a big lead. And then I managed to take six wickets in the first innings and then came out to bat when we had a lead of 34 so seven wickets, I came to bat at number nine, we had a lead of 34 runs, seven wickets down, and the uh, umpire was Nigel Cowley. This was on, I think it was on day three. And I said to Nigel, where are you playing golf tomorrow? Because obviously it's going to be a day off, so mm. we'll, let's play golf somewhere, <laughs> we'll get, get a tea time. And um, it just happened, to, I, I basically I started swinging from the hip pretty early on. They had Stuart Meeker, um, Matt Dunn, and Jade Dernbach, who could all bowl close to 90 miles an hour, uh, all bowling at my head with a leg gully and a short leg. I'm not going to just stand around and be a, a target. At least I'll be a moving target, and I'll try and whoop a few. And we had Gareth Batty bowling as well from coming back to Worcester, having been a Surrey, coming back to Worcester as a Surrey player. So there's a few sort of uh, little scripts there. And I managed to score 100 in this second innings for about 80, 85, 86 balls. Got ourselves a lead of 200, and then um, I think they got to about 120 for two at lunch on day four. Needed about 80 or 90 to win, and. Um, Myself and Moeen Ali bowled unchanged and we took eight wickets after lunch for about 60 runs and then won by 20-odd. Alexi Cavesi got a run out um, just before tea to win us the match gets promoted. Never had a feeling like it or since. Amazing. And uh, have you got a favourite wicket, most prized, one that you will uh, tell your kids? Um, well, the best name is probably Michael Clark, but he was caught cover head high. so <laughs> <laughs> It looks good in the book, but it wasn't a very good dismissal. Um, got Trist Gothic out a couple of times. Um, he's always one of the good ones to get out um, yeah a few big names Ian Bale Jonathan Trott when they were in their pomp in the same game for, um, for Worcester against Warwickshire um, so yeah yeah there's a few in there any, any favourite grounds apart from New Road yeah, New Road really good uh, Lord's food at Lord's is amazing Michelin star restaurant basically you can pick your steak medium rare whatever batting day at Lord's is phenomenal um, also Taunton the puddings at Taunton are great yeah really like there um, Headingley is a really weird setup. The new dressing room at Headingley is a bit ropey. Yeah. I can't stand up in there. I mean, the viewing gallery, you're sort of bending down and stooping down. So that's fantastic ground and great history, but I'm not a big fan of the redevelopment there. Um, yeah, Lords, Lords for the food and obviously the ground, um, and Taunton for the food mainly. Best place for a social with the team? Or when? Who used to lead the social actually? <laughs> Bushwhackers, simple answer, Bushwhackers. That was the reason we had just a strong home record in my time at Worcester, because all the away teams would just go to Bushwhackers straight away and then they'd be there. They wouldn't sober up during the whole, during the whole weekend. Um, so, yeah, that's, the, that's, a, that's a given. Um, social leader, um, 
There are a few. I was up there in my early days, then I sort of tailed off and went to mid-twenties. Um, who loved a night out? Yeah, there's a few there, um, but I'll, I'll keep my powder dry on that one. <laughs> Were there any kind of uh, outrageous fines or funny, or funny incidents? Um, fine. We didn't do fines, actually. Um, I, was, I was a bit silly one game. We played um, Kent away in a four-day match. And, it, and they allow the spectators onto the pitch at, at lunch mm. and tea. So it's lunch on day one. Um, we, were, we lost the toss and we were bowling. I think they were 80 for two at lunch and had a bit of food and a protein shake. Came back out about 15 minutes before the start and doing my bowl throughs and getting loose. And um, tennis ball came over to me, to my feet. And it was a father and son playing on the boundary. And the dad was bowling at the kid. So I thought, oh, rather than just roll the ball back to the dad... Have a bit of fun and I'll bowl a ball at this kid. He's about 13 years old. And so I sort of jogged up at half pace, got to about 15 yards away, about 20 yards away. We didn't bowl too close. Released it a bit quicker than I wanted to, reared off a length, fantastic bouncer, <laughs> clopped him straight on the head. He's gone down like a sack of potatoes. And it's in front of the viewing gallery as well. So about 150 people have seen this. Oh, no. Oh, and I wanted the ground to swallow me up. Oh, no. Walked over to the kid, turned around. My entire team on the floor in hysterics. (laughs) I can't believe what's just gone on. Thankfully, the kid was okay. And um, I gave him a signed shirt and he um, asked for an unsigned one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But actually, no, he he was fine. um, The the child's dad came into the commentary box. I was doing a uh, commentary game last year, uh, Leicestershire v Sussex at Hove. Mm. And um, the kid's dad came into the commentary box and said, you won't remember me, but I was the dad of the kid and he just passed his A-level. So thankfully, there was not too much... uh, Brain damage done. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so who, who had the worst chat? The worst chat, um, there was a wicketkeeper we had for a couple of years called Michael Johnson. He had, um, he, he had terrible chat, yeah. He, th- he, he thought he was a bit of a ladies' man, but, but <laughs> wasn't quite, wasn't quite as, as, high, as highly regarded as he thought. But yeah. Anyone, like, any, any particularly bad sledges or hilarious sledges that you've ever heard in your time? Uh, yeah, a few. Um, what's the... Uh, is you, it PG? You, no, no. You can, <laughs> definitely not PG. Um, okay. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that one. <laughs> I wanna th- I'm trying to think of a good one that I can actually say. If Rod's got one, and I can come back to no, it. I, I, was, I was always quite quiet, I mean. was my joke. <laughs> <laughs> Remember you ran me out once, so don't take one to me. Not one oh, to me there. Well, you must have had hamstring trouble that day. <laughs> How about yourself, Rod, in your career? Uh... God, my career, well, yeah. I, nothing really. I, just, I was just an ordinary player, really. I, you know, I, I played a bit of Woodchurch and, um, you know, we got to the Birmingham League, got Division 1, so, um, yeah, I quite enjoyed that, my, my travels on that. Uh, always competitive, always trying to play with a smile on my face and, um, yeah, I never really got stuck into many players, really, only if they deserved it. But, no, <laughs> I was always pretty placid, though. <laughs> Oh, we had, uh, it's not really a sledge, but we had a um, lovely player, still going really well, Charlie Morris for Worcester, the ultimate professional, nicest guy you'll ever meet, um, body of a Greek god, he's always in the gym. Mm. He did, um, he, <laughs> he's really, really hard on himself, and he was, um, we were playing a game together, and he's bowling pretty well, but then he bowled um, dragged down and got pulled for four. Mm. He's walking back to his mark, stomping back, muttering under his breath, and I was feeling it mid-off, I could hear him muttering. And the next ball, he bowls an absolute peach, pitches on middle and off, just nips away, 
beats the outside edge, and he's coming back, muttering to himself. And I'm looking at him. Well, what's he muttering? He's going, shit ball, shit ball, shit ball. He went, not that one, the one before. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was always that, so he was never far from the edge, Moss. He was, I love him, love him to bits. He was brilliant. Who, was the, who, would, who would you say is the best player that you've played with and played against? Um, the obvious answer would be Moeen, because he's obviously the, England, the one England player that's come through the Worcester ranks. Uh, Joe Clark had a really good spell as a batsman for us. Um, but the best player by a country mile was Saeed Ajmal mm. in the 2014 season. I think he took 60-odd wickets for us in maybe 10 or 11 games. And he was just unplayable that year. Mm. He really was. Um, it was before his action was remodelled, so there's a question mark about the legality of it. And he did get suspended a little time after he was playing for us that year. But for that sort of four-month spell, absolutely unplayable. Not just at Worcester, because we had a flood the previous winter and there's a little mm. bit of silt left on the pitch. So it wasn't ideal for a bowler. He obviously wanted a bit of live grass mm. and stuff. But it was a little bit silty, a little bit sort of almost sandy. But he would spin the ball at such pace. Uh, his quicker ball was faster than I could bowl, not three paces. Um, and he also played a game that year uh, at Lords for the rest of the World Eleven, and he had to be taken off because I think if it was a World Eleven v the rest of the World Eleven, some kind of superstar game anyway. And Kevin Peterson, Ricky Pond, all these best, play- all these top players were playing, and he took four wickets in his first three overs. He had to take him off because the best players in the world could not pick him and couldn't play him. So he was absolutely, he was on a different level. And yeah, he, without him, we wouldn't have got promoted in 2014. Talking about interesting actions, how did you kind of, uh, something that you mentioned in the masterclass itself is that kind of uh, your own action wasn't kind of what uh, the ECB would call, um, what, what would we say? Uh, it used to be called a mixed textbook, action. Yeah, yeah. But it used to be called a mixed. I'm uh, not sure if they've done away with that phrasing now, but it used to, I used to have what mm-hmm. was called like a side on bottom half and a chest on top half. How, how did you deal as a uh, as a as a cricketer and kind of like I'm I'm assuming you've had pl- you had plenty of advice as a as a junior and going all the way through your career <coughs> in regarding to your action. How did you how did you deal with that and kind of how, what how did you kind of push through and how, what kind of advice would you give to kids who maybe don't have a uh, what would what would people would say is a textbook action but works. Yeah, so I actually, uh, when I was 13 or 14, I got sent to do some one-on-one um, coaching with Peter Dawson, who's involved with the Shropshire set, set up at that time. He's since sadly passed away. Um, we tried to do some work to, to sort of cure me of this mixed action. I wanted to become a classical left-arm in-swing bowler. Mm. So at that time, my brother was making it as a pro with Northamptonshire. He bowled big left-arm in-swingers, and I wanted to do the same, follow my big brother. But I couldn't do it. And so you know, for the next three or four years, I sort of bumbled along. Then I had a growth spurt. Then I turned the seam around the other way and started swinging it away. And all of a sudden, I was getting better and better players out. Um, and from there, I started playing some minor county stuff and took wickets at that level, then played second team and, and did pretty well there. Um, so for me, I, I always looked at the outcome in terms of, you know, if, if you're taking wickets, oh, that's all I can do. It's all I can, I'm not going to convince someone, I'm not going to turn myself into a, a Mitchell Johnson or whatever that was in, mm. 10, 12 years ago. So all I can do is take wickets and, and score runs when I come into bat. And that's what I managed to do. So I'd, any criticism that I had, I just all I can do is, is take wickets and my economy is this, my average is that, and just reduce cricket down to a numbers game. Because I can't compete with you. If, if you know, at Worcestershire, my first year, we had four blokes pulling 85 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. But what I could do is you know, have a better economy rate than them or swing mm-hmm. the ball more or take more wickets. So you know, stick to what you're good at and uh, stick to what you know and, and, and just work hard on it. Yeah, with that, with that, with that same process, how would go with how you deal with having bad performances? Because obviously we spoke about it earlier, obviously when it's on Sky and you've had a 
bad performance, how would you how would you deal with that mentally? Would you yeah, go in the nets kind of thing? Or no, you... well, I'd read all the comments. What you're not, not supposed to do, I'd read every single comment. Yeah. You'd sort of tweet, search, all oh, what you're not supposed to do, and i think, oh, God. But I get that out of my system. Mm. Um, they say uh, the best players, they, you don't have your ego sort of intrinsically linked to your performance, because if that's the case, you'll be high and low, and you, mm. you, your loved ones and your family members, you won't be a nice person to be around, and you'll be mm. too high when you're on a high and too low when you're on a low, and no one wants that. So you have to learn to sort of disentangle yourself from, from you know, if you perform well, if you perform badly, or you still you still loved and you still mm-hmm. got a great job and all that kind of stuff. So that was an important lesson to learn. Lesson to learn. I probably took a little while to learn that as well because mm-hmm. I, you know, the first couple of years went pretty well. Go through a tough a tough streak and then you get, you know, all all the, all the things that surround a, a tough time. Um, but yeah, my advice would be to, to just to decouple yourself from that. So when you get white line fever, whatever you want, you can do that. But when you come off the pitch, you know, you've still got to be, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, you've got to be great to your kids. If you're, you've got to be nice with your loved ones, regardless, and be that mm. rock and, and have that kind of mentality. So, Rob, what would, your kind of, what would your advice be for a coach who maybe has that kind of unearthed talent, but they're not kind of, you know, as we're saying, uh, not what they orthodox. would be written orthodox? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we, we've, um, one thing Jack probably got through the net, really, what he bowled like, because... It, uh, for any batsman that uh, saw Jack for the first time, wouldn't really know. Oh, crikey, what what's this coming down here? And um, you know, I surprised quite a few with his with his action. <laughs> Sorry, to remind me of a good sledge. I'll bring it after after this. Sorry, I've got a good one. Um, but you know, today and age, you know, you, you you we've got to be careful that we've got to look after players, and you know, if the if their actions aren't safe, then we need to have a look at it, and there's a discussion that to be had. Um, you know, you carry on as you are, then you, you're going to have a stress fracture or, or you know, problems with your, your knee joints, ankles, whatever. So, um, you know, and it can be a quite a long process sometimes. Some, uh, sometimes, you know, players um, adapt to it pretty quickly. Sometimes it's, it's, it's quite, you know, a bit longer. It takes about six, probably sometimes a year, you know, even longer. So, um, uh, you just got to, you know, um, transfer that trust across and say, look, you know, trust me that you know we, we're going to try and do this. If not, we're going to have some problems. Just Rod saying that the first time that someone faced me, they'd have a little bit of a, a wake up call. I had that um, my first year with Worcester, final game of the season against Somerset. Justin Lang is last ever first class game. He's about to retire, and I bowled two balls at him. My first spell, he hadn't hadn't bowled before in the match, but in my second first class game, so no one had seen me. Certainly, they'd had no video footage at Somerset. First ball, Justin Langer plays and misses, mm. second ball, inside edge to, to square leg. And he turns around to Vikram Solanke at first slip and says in his thick Aussie accent, I'd rather slam my cock in a door than face this twat. <laughs> 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 That's amazing. And, I, and the addendum is I, I got him out as well. His final, his final game for, for Somerset, I managed to get That's, him out. That's amazing. Still bring the best game the so um, going kind of talking about that and we'll round it up kind of thing because uh, I realise it's getting late um, what, what, how did you find the transition between kind of moving from Shrewsbury to Worcester and then kind of going through the ranks uh, it was actually it was from Manchester to Worcester I was at university and, yeah. yeah so I was at university there and I'd already moved home obviously to go to Diggs at uni and then um, back to Worcester for my for my first year as a professional and I loved it I had probably seven addresses in in seven years moving around all, all mm. parts and I was going to Australia in the winter I had four years there a year in New Zealand as well 
So I was travelling around quite a lot. Mancads, yes or no? If you were, if you were given the opportunity, would you do? Because it was, uh, was it, who was it? Was it Catherine Bronte? Catherine Bronte yeah. the weekend, turning one down, which kind of hit the headline. And then also you had the Bangladesh team in the Under-19 World Cup celebrating, uh, celebrating a mancad like they'd uh, <laughs> taken Coley's yeah. wicket. What are your thoughts on that? I think it's, um, I think it's a really interesting one. It's where um, the culture of the game and the sport what they call the spirit of cricket, diverge from the laws. And I've always been a fairly straightforward person, and the laws say mm. that you can't be out of your ground. It's, it's, it's become almost like a moral stance that you won't mancad someone. Um, I heard Heather Knight saying, well, there's no skill involved in it. Well, there's no skill involved in a, a, a mix-up run-out where the ball mm. gets lobbed back to the... You still, get, you still take the wicket. Mm. Now, I don't think it's for us, for us to say where the line is. The line mm. has been painted on. We know where the mm. line is. So if you're over then you're over. Now, I'm a little bit um, hypocritical. So I never mancad anyone when I played. Mm. Uh, and I probably would have been out of my crease now and again. But that's why it's a cultural point, because you know, bowlers tend not to mancad you. But if it happened for maybe a season or so, then batsmen would soon learn to stay in their mm. crease. It's part of the game. I think you, know, you train so hard for all those one percenters. You are, I want to um, improve my sprint time by four tenths of a second. Okay, well, are you going to get up at six in the morning? Are you going to eat the right foods, I get to go to the gym and all that, do all that stuff for it, or are you going to start three foot out of your crease and do the same thing? Well, that's, one of them is, it's not cheating, but it's not in the laws. There's a provision in the laws for it. So uh, my view would, would differ from what I think most people would. Most people would say, man, can't know it's immoral, whatever I say. And as with my umpire's hat on, the, the line's there for you. If one season we could change it completely, change the, um, the, the ethics of the game, the, the line's drawn for us. Mm. So as well as talking to Jack, we also got the opportunity to talk to Rod and some of the coaches who took part in the Masterclass. We had uh, the privilege of being invited to the Jack Shantry uh, Coaching Masterclass uh, today by the Shropshire Cricket Coaches Association. And uh, yeah, which is run by Rod and uh, a really, well, considering all the floods, a a fantastic uh, turnout, Rod. Yeah, I was quite happy with the with the turnout because obviously with what was going on uh, with Shrewsbury at the moment, it's not the best place to be visiting. But uh, we took a call this morning and decided to go with it, and uh, I'm glad we did actually because we had a reasonable turnout mm. under the circumstances, and um, and it was quite an enjoyable session tonight. So mm. win win. Yeah, so really good session. As uh, we've also got one of the one of the coaches who uh, took part in the session and. Um, well, as from a coach's point of view, well, first of all, introduce yourself. And, um, yeah, what, how, what kind of things did you take out of the session? Hi, oh, yeah, so my name's Tom. Um, really good session uh, led by Jack Santry and Rod and his team. Um, he, um, he went through the basics of bowling and, and how to get uh, children into, uh, how to get them to bowl quick. Mm. Um, just general things like if you're going for a technical session, maybe slow it down a, a little bit and get them to hit the top of off. Um, or if you want them to just go out and bowl as, as fast as they can, really. Um, really well led um, going into it um, I just wanted to learn a bit more about a little bit more about technique just seeing um, how he uses his coaching directives and, and how he goes about um, taking a, a, a normal well a normal bowler or a normal person and trying to improve their bowling so they can they can bowl faster and I think he delivered that really well in the session mm. and that was the main outcome really yeah, really good, isn't it, when you've kind of got someone who's like an ex-counter cricketer and also quite local who can come and do this kind of masterclass. Is this something that you're going to be looking to do more in the future or is this kind of just maybe like a one-off? Um, well, I think there was the opportunity to uh, try and get get older Jack uh, because he's just finished his playing his career now. So uh, um, 
you know, and I think it just helps him with him and his future for you know where he wants to go with his uh, you know his cricketing career. Um, it, it's always handy to have somebody from uh, uh, local that's gone on to play first class cricket, and um, and I always think it's quite a good thing to go and get somebody that's actually been a, a first class player, player to come and uh, deliver for us because it's always nice to tap tap into their ideas about how they uh, train and uh, uh, what the coaching methods are because. We we uh, you know I'd say the we I said the, we all have our different methods, um, but it's always a, you know a breath breath of fresh air that you got somebody that's coming in from outside, um, you know and, and delivering like that. I think it's quite uh, quite nice to actually, you know, uh, have that. Um, not sure what the word is, but you know working working together sort of thing. Yeah. So as a as a coaching association, what kind of um, what are the kind of main goals and the kind of things that you're looking to uh, the coaches to get out of a session like this, and what kind of kind of benefits do you think that it has? Um, well, we we have directed from the ECB that uh, every two years that we run a uh, a one day one day um, coaching event. Uh, and then the next year we have our three coaching workshops. So um, uh, we're out there just to support the coaches because when they uh, finish their, you know, the, the level ones or the level twos, that uh, we don't want to say goodbye to them and then we don't see them again. Mm. We're there to support them throughout, and uh, I think that's really important. That you know we don't want to leave them go out on their own and uh, go off and do their own thing, which you know was probably they need to support really. Mm. And and in the end of it, and the, the, the third and foremost is that. We want to try and produce uh, quality, you know, at clubs. And we're quite well aware that, you know, coaches, once they've done the course, that they go back and they, you know, tend to go with the nets and getting some bad habits. And it's just about thinking about outside the box and how you can actually deliver different sessions and, uh, you know, making sessions fun and enjoyable because that's what you want to try and do at the end of the day. Yeah, so from a, from a, co- from a coach who's taken part in the, in the session, what kind of the main things that you're looking, that you feel as though you've kind of taken away kind of thing? Um, just about the, the process, um, as, as Rod says about our next um, county cricket fast bowler um, goes through his processes and how you can then instill these processes in on um, other, other people aspiring to uh, get to that level. Um, the, other, the other main factor is, is the, obviously I've said before about the, the technique of everything happening, um, but also the mindset of how you get the players into and, and the, the respect, but also the camaraderie they need to with their players, of, uh, with their teammates of how they can um, obviously push each other um, on a day-to-day training session, uh, mm. but also in the game. And if, if somebody's having a bad time of it in the field, how to get around them and, and G them up, but also to pick the right moments of when to do that, um, I think it's really key from, from that outcome. Was there a major, main thing that Jack had said that kind of really resonated with you or that kind of really uh, made an impact and kind of like really made an impact that you think you're going to bring across to your coaching career? Um, allowing maybe he said just um, allowing as a bowling group to police their themselves with like no balls and wides and how that works and maybe as a coach you could take a slight step back from that mm. and um, let them go around get them get around themselves and, and tell each other you know let's stop overstepping let's just hit these markers and, and maybe then as a coach just come in with the individual and general pieces of feedback whether that be as a group or as you take somebody aside to understand about more about their game and where they're going wrong or whether you know um, to give them a few pointers so they can improve in the future now um, 
you as yourself, um, where do you see your kind of coaching career path going and kind of where do, where do kind of sessions like this and also the coaching courses that you that are put on by Rod kind of uh, uh, fall in the line of that kind of path that, and how, how, how much support is given to uh, your kind of uh, aspirations as a coach? Yeah, so my coaching pathway, I'm, I'm, I would want to push on from here, hopefully. Um, if I can, um, I'm doing a degree at the same time, but if there was opportunities in coaching to come up, I'd, I'd take them. And I think Rod and his team do a really good um, aspect of this, giving on the CPDs and extra coaching, so that when you have completed your level two and your level one, you can continue your uh, learning and your professional development um, in order to become a better coach and then raise yourself to a higher game and also keep moving with the new directives from the ECB because they will change. So if I did my level two, three, four years ago, it might not be the same information as it is where we are now, so yeah. Yeah, so Rod, going back to you, what kind of, you know, we've been talking about these masterclasses, but what kind of things do you have in place for people who want to maybe start their coaching career or people um, who are already on their coaching career, for example, and uh, kind of want to progress and kind of, how, what kind of like infrastructure do you have to kind of support these coaches? Um, well, obviously, um you know, you, you should be supported by your club, and um, uh, you've got to want to go on the course before you, mm. you know, you you you're actually enrol. Uh, and, and I think when looking back at my time, as that I was probably twenty eight, twenty nine, and I was probably the youngest in the side, and I thought, well, we better do something about this, and uh, and it just developed from there really for me, and and I think from this process now that I've learned that. It's all very well that yeah the club always used to say yes you know we'd love you to go on it and, and teach our juniors but I think you know we don't want to be seen as a coaches association that you know you, once you've done the courses that you leave and uh, you're not being seen again and uh, I think these development workshops are really important for the infrastructure not for just the coaches but for the clubs as well to get best practice mm. and I think each club should be looking to get best practice because that then raises the standard at club. But not only at the club, but at uh, district and county levels, and it, and it's great that you see, you know, some of our local lads, and and it's great that we've got Jack to come and deliver for us tonight. That that they come back, and you know, it's just to say a bit of a thanks that, you know, they're they're not forgotten, even though they've gone on to first class play, they've been putting something back in. Yeah. Um, so fin- finally, if, you, if there's anyone listening out there who is interested in starting their coaching career and is interested in one of the courses, what kind of what things would you kind of uh, what what would you say to kind of inspire them or encourage them to do it? Basically, um, yeah. So if you, as Rod said, if you're in your club or stuff and you, you're really sitting on the sideline thinking, I really want to get involved, um, just have a look on the on the websites on the Shropshire websites and stuff, or have a conversation with somebody in your club who's already there. And I'm, uh, I'm sure they can point you in the right direction of, of coaching badges, whether that be level one or level two. Um, and that will allow you then to obviously go in and help training sessions. But don't feel that you have to have necessarily a coaching badge to go into the training sessions. Uh, maybe just ask a coach and maybe you can shadow or watch um, and gain some experience on that to see if you want to go for it. Um, and then if you do, I'm sure there's more than people happy in your club or, or like I say, go on the Shropshire websites and stuff. And, and I'm sure there'd be plenty of notices out there for when the next courses are coming up but it's a a really beneficial thing to do um, and really an enjoyable thing once you get into it yeah my name's uh, my name's ian howard i'm coach of the junior section or boys under 11s i think last time i did it at sentinel cricket club and the county under 11s boys age group as well fantastic so yeah um great little session tonight and uh what how did you feel it went and uh kind of what was the what was the general feel of it I really enjoyed it. Um, he was talking about sort of mindsets, attitude towards cricket, as well as some technical stuff with regard to bowling sort of on a length, what you're looking to see your bowlers do, 
what sort of drills you'd want to put them through, what variations, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Generally, really interesting. I actually enjoyed it. From a complete uh, different standpoint, as from an association, um, it's quite good to see the uh, coaching association putting on like masterclasses like this and uh, looking forward to ones in the future. Yeah, it's really good. Um, CPD, continual uh, professional development, is really important. If you get stale... I mean, it's like anything in sport, generally, if you're not moving forward, you're going backwards. Mm. So if you look at it from a professional sport point of view, uh, you, know, you, you know, football, cricket, whatever it might be, those teams that are pushing on and moving forward are the teams that are generally doing better. So if I was to still be coaching the same way as I was eight years ago when I first did my level two... Mm. Well, that's eight years worth of development in coaching and in cricket and the game in general that I've missed out on. So it's, it's vital to go to days like this because you're, you're getting feedback, you're getting different points of view. You're sometimes learning what not to do or hearing what not to do as well. But that's never a bad thing, you know. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, so we've had a really good day here and a really good podcast. And yeah, I hope you guys have really enjoyed it. And hopefully it's the, not the last time we have you both on. Anyway, I'll finish by saying thank you very much, Jack. Thank you. And thank you very much, Rob. Thanks, James. Till next time. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 